did I get here? Where I interview people who do cool, creative and desirable jobs and tease out the actions, habits and mindsets that help them to get where they are today. Today I'm speaking to Gerard Critchlow who is Head of Cultural Strategy and a strategy partner at AMV BBDO. So he's the lead strategist for the Bacardi portfolio of brands that includes, but is not limited to, Bombay Sapphire, Devas, Martini, Bacardi. And his job involves defining global brand platform ideas, identifying cultural partnerships and aligning brands with purpose beyond profit. For Gerard, it's important to have impact in all of his work, creating acts, not just ads. He's been a judge at several award shows, including Cannes Lion International Festival of Creativity, and prior to AMV at BBDO, he worked at uh, Droga 5 and RGA, um, which are two agencies that have completely redefined what an advertising agency is and does. So I was very excited to speak to Gerard. So without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Gerard Critchlow. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming into AMV. It's great. Yeah, it's, you, got, you actually have really good views from here. Um, some of the best in London, you'll find. Yeah, yeah, people pay for this. <laughs> they definitely do. Um, right, okay, let, let's jump straight into it. For people listening, uh, creative people that maybe they want to do something to do with solving problems that might involve brands, it might not. Um, they were probably looking at you thinking maybe they can never end up where you are. We're going to start at the beginning. So tell me a bit about where you grew up. Yeah, okay. So it's funny being in London with these views that we have, because obviously I'm not from London. Uh, I actually grew up in Queens in New York and in a place called Jamaica, Queens, which is in the south side of Jamaica. And it's a very Caribbean um, environment, so lots of immigrants. Um, and my parents came from the Caribbean to make a better life, and, and we grew up there. And it was like, great, middle class uh, going. And um, I think I started to go to school in Long Island, which is... Know, a little ways away, but a whole nother world, you know, just, just a few miles down the road. And I've never seen houses bigger than what I've seen or cars like that. Um, and then you go home and people are struggling and, and it's very middle class. We can't even get like good companies to come to, to service us. Like Starbucks didn't want to come, right? So it was always this sort of juxtaposition of like what, what I, where I live and then what could happen and what the other side looks like. So at some level, I've always been a bit of an outsider. Yeah. Because I was always traveling back and forth between, but like I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world, right? It just gives you another perspective. It's also part of the reason why I want to get into, into the advertising business because uh, I always saw the way that they had um, advertised to our market, to our group, wasn't actually like what we wanted um, or how we felt. Um, and I always thought there could be a better way to do it. So I was like, why not me, right? So let me just get in there and take a hand at it. How old were you when you, when you sort of started thinking like that and you kind of thought, well, these guys don't get me, so maybe I should try and do something about that? It wasn't until I actually had to get a job. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> I never was one of those people who was like, hey, like, this is what I want to do. It's just more of like, I know I want to do something interesting. I know I don't want to wear a suit, but like, yeah. I don't know where that is, you know? Um, and it took me until basically I graduated from college to yeah. kind of figure out what that could be. Yeah. I never thought about it. I actually wanted to be like an athlete or, you know, or um, drug dealer. That's what all my friends were doing. You know? yeah. So like, uh, that's what I thought I was going to do. Um, but luckily enough, I, I had exposure to other things. Yeah. 
So, so you graduate college when you're like early twenties. Yeah. So yeah. Um, in the states, you graduate when you're 21. Yeah. If you <laughs> go straight through, yeah. Just go. Um, but yeah, so 21, 22. Yeah. Okay. So you're early twenties, and you have to get a job at this point yeah. as you graduated. What were some of the other things you considered that you, uh, you might you might think you might have been good at or? Well, I was I was I was an English major in college, and what I studied. I actually started it in the business school and, and I went to Georgetown University, which is in Washington, DC, which is a lovely part of DC. Um, and it's a very political school. So people go there saying, I'm gonna be the president of X country. And you're like, well, it seems pretty ambitious. Yeah. And then you find out that their dad was the president. Right. <laughs> not that far off. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. So um, stretch goals or stretches, more stretches for some than others. But uh, uh, I knew that I didn't want to be in politics based on that because I didn't have the head for it. And I applied uh, to the business school when you come in. So you go to the liberal arts college, you go to the business school, you go into the, um, sort of the SFS, which is foreign service. Um, and I went to the business school and the first class I took was accounting and I was like, I'm going to be shit at business. <laughs> like accounting is not for me. Yeah. Um, I'm not a finance guy. I'm not a um, sort of an accounting guy. I, I don't think this is for me. But what I was really good at was the, the um, sort of the marketing classes. And I was like, okay, so that points me in the direction of where I think we could go. Yeah. Um, and I actually got an internship in public relations, which was really interesting. And um, that's where I started in a, in a PR agency. And, and how did you get that internship? Was that incessant emailing, phoning, or yeah. lucky break? I uh, applied to lots of different places. This one had sort of like a, an internship scheme um, and I was lucky enough to be accepted into that scheme and then got an internship in New York. Um, and we we're doing like event PR and um, uh, sort of um, meeting lots of influencers and artists. It was a, a pretty creative field in the public relations. I was like, oh, this is closer to where I think I can bring some value. I just wanted to make an impact. Whatever I did, but I wasn't sure what it was. I just wanted to, knew I wanted to see the results of my labor. Yeah, in a creative way. So, what you mentioned at one point, thinking you know you wanted to be an athlete. What what sport was that? Uh, I was a terrible athlete, but uh, I played a lot of soccer or, or football here, um, a lot of basketball. A lot of my friends were were had actually gone on to play professional sports. Um, in football and in basketball. So I was like, yeah, I'll do that too. Um, but I, everyone grew, keep growing and I did not. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's a similar story for me actually. I think I, um, one of the best ways I kind of had the head, the head to be an athlete, just not the body. <laughs> yeah. I played rugby and I just stopped growing. Everyone's wrists were about twice as thick as mine. I thought, this isn't going to work. This is not me. <laughs> the one thing I brought, which was, um, I didn't have the skills, I didn't have the size, but I had like the, the hutzpah, right? Like, yeah. I worked harder than anyone else. Um, and I still do to this day. Like, so that, that was a good lesson. Lesson there. Yeah. Um, if you can outwork people, you can at some level match or surpass their skill. Yeah. Um, and that will stay with you. Hutzpah is a good word that I've not heard a lot. Um, is that like grit? Is that kind of like stay, yeah. like stay in power? Yeah, yeah. It's a Yiddish for like grit. Yeah, because I grew up in New York, right? So you got I grew up with lots of Jewish friends and yeah. things. So yeah, it's part of part of vernacular. <laughs> and um, that's obviously a skill you used as an athlete. That obviously I assume is you know what makes you very successful in what you do now. 
Are there any other sort of skills that you feel carried over from, you know, your athletic days into your job now? Um, I think, yeah, I think it's resilience. Because I wasn't as good as everyone else, you have to have a thick skin, right? And, you know, uh, the culture of teams, you have good teamwork. But I think, like, you you definitely rail on each other, even if you're not, like, in the starting five. um, You still have to be resilient to get up every morning, to go to practice, to do your schoolwork. And then, and then do your own training, your regimen. There is a, a flow to it. And I think um, once you get into the rhythm of that and then you're resilient about it, you can do, you can do anything. So it's a good skill to, yeah. to carry on. So it's always interesting hearing people say, oh, I applied to lots of places. Um, I think sometimes until you hear a number, you don't... People have different definitions of what applying for lots of jobs or internships means. How many, how many emails do you think you sent? Mm. or phone calls or you know probably like 50 yeah something like that and before before one before that one opportunity so two percent return on investment yeah i wasn't a very good student i didn't have the best grades at all um didn't necessarily know how to talk about myself so there's a learning curve there i didn't necessarily look like everyone else um so there's also a learning curve there so um i kind of had to learn the vernacular also, the cultures, which I had no idea. I never even really worked in a corporate environment or yeah. any office space. So, like, what do you wear? Um, how do you talk? Like, yeah. uh, definitely had an accent growing up. So, like, what does that look like? You know, I don't, I don't yeah. know. So, you definitely apply. You try different angles. You do your ways in and out, and then you finally get that that rhythm. And, and once you find someone you connect with, you got to go with it. Right? Yeah. Yeah, and that, so that must have been really hard work. So the world is much more accepting now of <laughs> different people that, you know, they, they talk differently, they look different, they're from different backgrounds. So that must have been quite hard for you at that time. That was very Especially no in a corporate did. environment. Oh, yeah. Of, of the friends that I had, many of them did not go to school. You know, like college or that was not even an option. You know, so some of them did from the school I went to, but the ones that I actually lived in my neighborhood, so that was not even close, you know. So... Uh, they don't they're like, why are you even wearing a suit? You know, like I, every time I'd come home, I had to, on the journey home, I would take off the suit jacket and the tie and stick it in my book bag so I wouldn't get beat up, you know? Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. It was just like a different world. You had to be two different people. And, yeah, yeah. And you had to know, like, uh, the context of like, who, who to talk to, who to not talk to, yeah. who to align yourself with, what are they motivated by so that you don't step on their toes, or, and then vice versa, like, like, you go to these people who have money and they're like interested in where did you vacation? What did you do? I'm like, yeah, I didn't vacation because my family cannot afford it. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Yeah, that and really hard to tread that line, isn't it? Because you're, you're you're effectively wanting the the job and the career that comes with being in that environment, but yeah, you don't want to get into the social competitions of. Yeah. where you go on holiday or what brand of clothing you're wearing or things like that um and that must have been very hard as well because i suppose equally when you're going back home you're stepping outside of what that uh community deemed to be what people did for a living um and similarly you have to put on an armor yeah on both sides you have to put it on in the morning to go to a place that like you were definitely like not welcome in yeah. and then when you go home you have to put on a different one to step in another place that you were pretty much an outsider from so but that's where the resilience comes from. Sports helps with that, but more so like life. It's just life. And at the time, it sucked. I can tell you, it sucked. But I think I have so much more appreciated now. And like my parents were so, so 
Um, they worked really hard. My dad's a welder and my mom's basically a secretary. And the school that we went to, I don't know how they afforded it, or I sent my brother and I, I have a twin brother. We went at the same time and it's just hard work. And I think I got that example from my father. Yeah. Who worked overtime as much as he could, woke up at three in the morning just to go to work. And my mother, same thing, just to yeah. send us to school. So I saw that example and I was like, oh man, I've got to be better. I gotta be better than everyone else. And I gotta be better than, than this so we could get out of out of where we are. And I didn't know we weren't rich. Like I thought we were doing great. And then but then I realized, oh man, we're not rich, but we're we're kind of middle class, you know, and not at the upper yeah. side of that. So Yeah, it's, it's they sound like great um, role models oh, they're aspiring parents to have. What would be simple actionable advice you'd give to someone listening that thinks they want to get into the creative industry? Um, is maybe not in the, in the in the situation financially, economically best place for it, and maybe they're, they're not actually in a an environment that's kind of encouraging that. Obviously, there's grit and good spa. Um, what would be something that you think they could go away with as a piece of advice? So, how to get into the industry? Yeah, if they're not in the most supporting environment, uh, either with friends or family or whatever, like there's things you can change, right? Like the finances of it all. But obviously, what's carried you through is grit and resilience and wanting to make your parents proud. Is there anything else that you, you'd sort of give on as a piece of advice? Yeah, I think um, maybe two things to think about that like ask yourself is one, what do you want to do? Um, and when you're 18 or you're 19, you probably have no clue what you want to do. I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up, right? But I think the, the thing, the other thing to ask is, what do you want to learn? Um, and so what are the types of things you want to learn from? And then who are the types of people you can learn from? And where are those places where that's happening? And go to those places. Learn from those people. I think there's a great Alexander uh, Wang quote. He says, like, um, don't worry about how much you're making because when you're young, you're getting paid to learn, right? Um, and I think at some level, like, you're going to be around people who know so much more things than you do. Um, and you're actually, it's a playground of learning. And once you begin to understand how things go and, and learn, then you can have your own point of view on it. Then you can start your own company or do your other things. I think lots of young people that I meet say, hey, I don't want to work for the men or I don't want to go into a corporate area um, because like, that's, that's just not cool. And I'm like, actually, it's almost like the best learning pots are right in front of you only if you know how to tap into them. Mm. Um, and be a sponge and soak those things up because at some level, you're going to be able to teach them, but you're going to get so much more out of it for the future. That's really good advice. Um, yeah, and actually, yeah, working for them, working for the man is a really easy way to write off what could be a really interesting career. Where I look at it the other way, actually, um, of you could look at a corporate environment and go, oh, "I don't want to touch that. That's really corporate and greedy and capitalist." Or you go, "Or actually, I'll, I'll try and get in there and I'll use their money <laughs> to try and make the world a slightly better place, and they can pay for it." Um, uh, okay, it, you, you said the word impact, um, which really um, piqued my interest. Would, would, would you say that's your, like your, your number one value in your work? You're like, you know, it doesn't matter what I'm doing, if I'm selling a fizzy drink or if I'm working on a charity that saves lives, like, I just want to have impact. Yeah, I think, um, I think impact is a good way to describe it. I think what kind of impact do I want, right? And um, I just know that to see a tangible result, the blood, sweat, and tears, the hours that you put into something, 
to then see it on the other end um, of other people reacting to it, how they have a visceral reaction, or is it changing people's lives? Um, what is that? That's the type of thing I'm looking for. I think the point you just made, you just mentioned, I'm like, I don't actually want to use corporate dollars to, to, to further my own purposes. Actually, that's what I want to do. Um, I think like, at some level, um, what I do here is uh, I get paid to learn, right? I learn things every single day. I'm still learning, just like everyone else. And I'm learning from not only my colleagues, but people who are junior to me, or other people who are out in different fields. And I'm bringing all of that learning into this, the job that I'm in now, which is, and then I like look at it as a project and say, how can I bestow that knowledge onto what these corporations want to do, and then actually do some good on it, right? So at some level, like my job is uh, to be sort of a, a brand therapist. Like, what are you trying to do? What's your what's your objectives here? Why do you want to do those things? Are you sure this is really what you're looking for? Um, and then almost be sort of a cultural architect, right? And to say, here are the things that are going on in the world. You marry those two two things, and I think like. Um, objectives that I would have is not to like further a company's bottom line or their sales growth, but to actually say what is the impact in the world that we want to have and what type of conversation do we want to incite. So for instance, I like would say, hey, um, we see a big trend with um, modern masculinity going on. How can we begin to change the conversation of what masculinity looks like today? Hey, Brand X. Um, here are the types of people we should be using in our in our ads. Here are the things, the events that we should show up at. Or, for instance, we'd say, "Oh, um, we can see that um, music is an interesting area for people to play in." But like, what's what's problematic in the in the music industry? Well, uh, record labels no longer are sort of paying um, for talent, and they're actually ripping people off, right? In, in a world where you don't necessarily need to go directly to a record label anymore. Why, what's the role of a record label? So what if we were to help people in their own right find studio time or to be able to get the pathway to become more well-known based on their art? And can we help them with that? Those are things that I want to do, and um, that's where the impact comes. And those yeah. are real KPIs. You know? Very cool. So you got that first um, internship. So can you connect the dots for me? in terms of where you are now and that, and that yeah. first internship. So that first internship was at a place called Magnet Communications in Union Square in Europe, my first time in Union Square, which is a pretty cool area, um, and doing sort of you know PR for, for artists and, and events. Um, went back to university, changed my major from the finance world to, to sort of English, because yeah, I thought, I wanted to be in business because I wanted to, like, you know, you got to be a doctor, lawyer, or you'd be, um, so an engineer to make money. And actually, didn't that wasn't going to work out for me. I just didn't have the skill set. Um, but marketing could be something I had. And what I learned was that if I was going to be a good marketer, I needed to tell some stories. But in school, I never really read books back to front. I kind of was smart enough to get by. I actually never actually soaked it in. So I, I realized I had to actually read some stories. That's why I went to go major in English. And I had this interesting major called culture and performance. And it was basically looking at all of the different sort of categories of, of um, periods in time and the best stories from those 
that period and then like, what does that actually say about what's happening in that time and how did that manifest in culture so performances or plays or theater so you read books and you hear like Shelley by Frankenstein and you're saying what does that mean for technology at the time what does that say for like what was going on in politics why did that book be written at that point in time which actually was a great way of thinking um, and it's actually when I think about it now and connected is like it's kind of what I'm doing today right um, and uh, we're still telling stories but we're also trying to look at the behaviors of what's going on in the context of modern day world and the issues that are going on and telling um, interesting ways uh, for a brand to connect to those people with, with the story. Um, and there's way more channels and way more places than ever before. So we have way more stories to tell um, and way more formats to tell those stories, which is really interesting. So that's kind of like where I started in school. And then I think once I graduated, there were no jobs, right? It was kind of like, it was nothing. It was the end of the golden era from like the tech boom when I graduated. Um, and so I didn't have a job. Nothing. I, I had to like do temp jobs. I was like uh, <laughs> construction work, you know, like because no one would hire me. Like no grades. I wasn't in finance. I wasn't at the top of my class. The the competition was very, very rough, right? So like, and I wasn't at the top. So like, just had to get in where I could. And then I actually got another sort of um, PR job, and I got placed at a company called Riverfin which is in, in the Upper East Side in New York. And that actually started me on the career in PR. And I was there for seven, eight years. It's a long time, it sounds like. But I think what, what I learned from that was that I, I got to do lots of different roles. And I found like a great sort of mentor, this guy named Marty McGuff, who's almost like my corporate father in a way. And he showed me things and taught me things I had no idea ever existed. Um, and how to how to do things like how to write an email like Gerard you can't write any emails like that says something like here's what you should do and I was like oh okay I didn't even know I was writing an angry email right like, I didn't work in a company before um, or um, in PR we had this saying of ask people what they want to hear and tell them that and they will, will be convinced and so what we were always doing was trying to convince people to do something else. We were in the influence business. Um, and whether they were gonna vote for one thing or another, or they were gonna buy something um, and over another product, or you had different messaging to steer them to your point of view. Um, that was a really interesting ground to, to learn from. So I think in PR, you get good context, or sorry, content, you understand good content. But social media was coming up, so it's like, ooh, this is an interesting realm. Um, so I wanted to go to a place that was a bit more creative. Um, PR is not the most creative of uh, sectors. Um, and it was like, where's the best creative and social? And I went to a place called RJ, which is a, a digital agency um, who have a really interesting uh, point of view, saying basically every nine years they change their business model. Um, I don't know if that's completely true today, but that was very much true when I was there. Um, and I don't know if you know Nike Plus, um, and they used to have the app, they still have the app, so they built that in-house in, in there for Nike. They built the app, the Nike Fuel Band, which is one of the first wearables that you can have. Think of it as like an early version of the Fitbit. Um, and I was lucky enough to work on some of those teams, but more so, it was actually the first real environment where I felt comfortable. Like, it was the first creative environment. I was like, wow, this is where I should be. 
Um, and and when you start to see like people from, they can just come up with a concept in their mind, and then they can make something that people use. Like that was a disconnect that had never, yeah, I'd never put that together. And like so, these people in this room make this thing, and it's beautiful, and everyone uses it. That's amazing. I want to do more of that. Right? And that was that was like just mind blowing. It's more like that was the real college education that that I was looking for. That's when it first started for me. Um, and just working with geniuses and people who were artistic, but also brilliant. Um, and that's where I got really excited. So from there, I worked for quite a while and worked on amazing projects that, that had impact. The impact you see, it's in your hand, people are using it. Um, uh, then social media was becoming even bigger. And uh, there was an agency called Droga5 that was just, just killing it, right? Um, one of the, the pieces of work that I love and I still love to this day was the Jay-Z Bing campaign. I don't yeah. know if you've seen that. Um, but when I when I, was, when I saw that, I was like, this is amazing. Like, MB, jealousy, all the words, the terrible words that you never want. But yeah, it was like, I want to do that, right? Yeah. Um, and who did that? Oh, Trevor So um, when that opportunity came along, um, I they, they t- hit me up to um, start their first social media department. And... So I um, created a team and, and got everything going there. We worked on amazing projects, right? And I guess the difference would be if RGA is more like Kleiner Perkins in, in San Francisco, um, I'd say like RGA um, was, was more tech-oriented. But then Droga 5 is probably more Hollywood Boulevard, right? And you get a bit more context. People have different styles. Um, you definitely take a shower as opposed to some of your programmers and developers who were just like, plugged in, coding for hours, sometimes they never leave their desks, right? Um, but this one had more style, more flair, more personality, but like, I think I learned a lot about context and like, how do you come up with a brand idea, a big idea, and make it live within the world um, that's contextually relevant to you. So that was an amazing thing. Um, loved it there. And then the opportunity to move to London came um, from AMB, which is where we are today, and they wanted me to to take their social media team to the next level, and then also incubate a uh, cultural intelligence agency called Sparks and Money. Um, and I was like, that's perfect, right? So I got all my CDs together in PR, got the content in um, digital at RJ, I got the canvas that they were making. When I was in Joker 5, I got the context. And then while I'm here at in AMB, I can get the, the sort of the culture bit. Um, so all the, all the seeds are coming together, and I'm like, that's basically where I'm at right now. Sounds like, yeah, sounds like a great journey. Um, so some things to, to, to touch on. Uh, what, so RGA, when, when you were there, um, really were just a completely different breed of company. I, I think they were, and sound from what you're saying like they were to what else was, was out in the market at the time. What, what would be three traits that you think the RGA culture had that just separated them from their competitors at that time? Yeah, and uh, these traits are, I think, really important, but also it's, like, it's a core belief for me as well today. I still do it. One, um, design. Everything had to be beautiful. There's no difference between the idea and the execution of the idea. Both have to be beautifully implemented. So I think that was the first one. I think the second one was this idea of um, collaboration. Um, Bob Greenberg, who's the 
RGA part of it. Always said, how big can we get before we get really good? Um, and he was saying, look, we'll bring in people from all different types of specialties. Um, I don't care where they come in, we'll just chuck them in together and we'll collaborate, right? Um, and that was his whole vision. And he really fostered a sort of learning environment. Everyone had to come together to, and, and figure out a problem. And that's when the best ideas came out. Um, and I really believe that that's still true to this day. And I think the, the last bit is the idea of behavior um, and um, understanding how people behave in order to serve them with things that are utilitarian. Um, so that those three things are still core to everything I do today um, and very influential in my growth and my own development of a, of a point of view. Even the way I dress is like very RJ. Everyone dresses in black at some level uh, and still I'm dressing all black yeah. today because of it. Yeah. It sounds like you've had some really great mentors over the, the years across, across those companies. So can you think of you know, the best piece of advice you've been given? It's really stuck with you. Um, yeah, uh, lots of different advice. That's a tough one, but um, cause there's so many different things. I think one would be life is long. This is from my wife, actually. So life is long, but life is really short. Um, and while things can can seem like they it's the end of the world, actually, it's not. Um, and you actually see a lot of the people that you see today down the road. So. At some level, you have to you put your best foot forward every single time um, because life is long, but it's short. You're going to see them again, and they're going to remember actually how you made them feel or what you did or um, how your general way of working was, right? And I think that was a really interesting thing because it gives you context of the long game of like where you fit in within the world. And, and I'd say this is not advice just for working. It's just in general. Advice, yeah. Good, good advice. Um, the opposite of that, is there bad advice that you hear being given out to aspiring kind of problem solvers that you think should be avoided? Yeah, uh, I think that you hear a lot of a lot of people saying, oh, you should just follow your passions. Just, just follow your passions. Like, quit your job, just follow your passions. I actually think that's terrible advice, right? Um, you could be passionate about photography and drawing, but you can be a shit drawer. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Like, yeah, follow that path and you can all of it. Maybe you should do something else. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so I think, like, yeah, you can be passionate about different things, but if you're still learning about um, what you're good at, you should follow what you're good at um, and, and be the best at that. And then, be, then see how you can branch off into different areas. Um, and I think I, I wholeheartedly believe in that. Like I thought I was going to be amazing at business, but I was shit at it. Yeah. Right? No way should I have like been running a business. <laughs> yeah. Know? But that's marketing. Yeah. I was great at it. That is, yeah, that's good advice. Uh, I, I think as soon as money is involved, as soon as you get into a corporate environment, the feedback comes pretty quickly. <laughs> like if you're not good at something, so yeah, that's great advice. Um, what about if there are any um, parents, soon-to-be parents, that happen to hear this who are thinking? You know, okay, right, really great advice, thank you, but the world's moving at a mile a minute, so what about my kids? You know, how do I set my kids up to um, have, have a good career and go on to sort of, you know, solve problems and things like that? Yeah, I think that's a good one. Um, 
so the UK is a little bit different than, than in the States because, I mean, is it, is it called the GCSEs? Yes. That yeah. people have to take. So I found this fascinating. I, I, it was very confusing to me when I first heard about it. It's like, um, I think, what are you, 13 when you take them? 14? You, yeah, you start doing uh, practice papers when you're 14, 14, I think, and then you start sitting them at 15. Right. So, so you're still formulating your your skill set and your point of view, and then you kind of have to take the exams and major in what you want to do, and that's going to be set you down the path of, of your future, right? Yeah. I feel like that's a tremendous responsibility. I, I, again, I still don't even know what I want to do. Um, so how could you, at, at some level, know what you want to do at 14 or 15? Like, you just blinked, opened your eyes. Just, your diapers are just off. Yeah. You know? um, so I actually became involved in this, what do they call it, Saturday Club? you're familiar with it or not. Um, Scarlett mentioned it actually when I interviewed her. I mentioned that you had told her about it, I think. Oh yeah, Scarlett's one of my favorite people. Yeah. Um, love Scarlett and she's amazing in her own right. So if people are listening, you should definitely listen to that interview with Scarlett because she's a fascinating person. Um, but back to the Saturday Club. Saturday Club, I think was a really interesting way for um, kids to get exposed to different types of industry. So. What the Saturday Club does is it's an organization that's all over the UK. Um, and basically, if you are interested in a particular creative endeavor, they have mentors from all fields, so architecture, um, copywriting, um, digital, illustration, even advertising. Makers like us are involved. And you can do a master class, and, and, and basically it's a case study that says, here's a problem that we've had within our industry. Um, and we're going to give it to you guys to solve on a Saturday um, all day long and come back with what you're what you think is the best way to solve that and in however way that is so you can come up with an ad campaign you can come up with a new fashion line you can come up with loads of different types of things and you have the best sort of mentors to teach these master classes and I think like for me what I see is that the kids um, who are generally sort of yeah whatever when they get a problem that they can solve, you can see their, their eyes light up. You can see like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So if parents are looking for a place for to get their kids exposed to something other than sort of STEM, I think um, with an A, with the arts, et cetera, Saturday Club's a great place to start. Mm. Uh, and can, uh, what about people that wanted to get involved in that? Is that, can you just contact them and say, I'd love to, yes, I'd love to or do they kind of like just pick them? kind of cream of the crop to do it or no they're, they're they're always looking for mentors or people to show places around um, and i'm happy to make an introduction to that as well um yeah. but it's a it's a great organization the saturday club I'll, I'll have to link that in the um in the show notes okay sounds like um sometimes when you listen to these sort of interviews you kind of think wow this person has just completely coasted through this uh, fantastic career with no problems at all but you know that obviously isn't true. So inevitably there will have been multiple times in your career where you struggled or had problems, but is there a, a time that really stands out when you, you felt a bit lost in your career or you have you felt a bit adrift? There hasn't been a time that I haven't felt adrift. Um, I feel adrift right now. Right? Um, <laughs> I think our whole industry is adrift at the moment. Um, so I think like one way to, to reframe that is to say, I get a lot of um, uh, comments from younger people at some level. It's like, who am I learning from? There's no one that, that 
inspires me. At some level, I, you can feel the same way, right? Um, but I think like in the age of the internet and, and podcasts and all these things, there's so many different resources to learn from that like there's no way that we should ever feel like we're lost. Mm. There's so many different resources like like, like this podcast, for instance. Like there's, a, there's fountains of knowledge just, just oozing to be like seeped in. Um, we just have to have the curiosity and the, the know-how to try to get to it, right? Yeah. So um, whenever I feel that way, um, that's, that's just like, I start digging, right? Yeah. Um, and like go back to that resilience bit and like reframe my point of view and then I can keep going. Yeah. So that, that note on resilience then, how much of your success do you put down to talent and resilience and how much of it do you put down to luck and good timing? Uh, I think all of it. <laughs> I'd say 100%. Um, I think you can create your own luck, right? Um, everyone needs luck. Um, and I've been very fortunate throughout my career to work at some amazing places with amazing people and leaders. But the only way I could put myself in that position is if I put my head down and, and did the work, right? Um, so I can talk the best game, um, but if I didn't have the, the chops to back it up, there's no way I would even get a foot in the door or yeah. even um, in the room, right? So yeah. uh, when, many people don't know this, but when I was trying to make the transition from PR to the digital agency, that was one of the hardest leaps I've ever had to make because they actually told me no. Like so many people told me no, 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 you're in PR, you don't know anything, you don't have a code, you don't have design, you don't have this. So I had to like constantly readjust my pitch to all these places, constantly readjust like um, how I talked about myself, the type of work that I showed. I even changed my title to reflect, no, 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 I am a strategist, right? Um, and so I think one thing to think about is this is like, you are what you do, right? So if you are a writer, you have to write, right? You write, then you're a writer. Um, so if I wanted to be a strategist, I had to do strategies and I had to show that I could do it. So I tried to proactively find projects where I could do those things to showcase my thinking and um, work that lived in the world, right? Most of the stuff in PR kind of is internal and, and there's no definite output. So I needed an output. So I started creating outputs, right? Um, created something called the Intent Index, which is probably still on the internet, but like basically it was saying, hey, if you are trying to reach people, you have to understand all of their intents. And this is sort of a global survey to say, okay, here's what people intend to do when it comes to using social media, when it comes to using mobile, in general, when it comes into their ideas. And hey, Brand X, if you want to understand that, you can come to this intent index and, and use it, right? And inevitably, lots of people came. Um, and I thought it was, it was a great way to do it. Very cool. Okay, so we're speaking, we've been speaking sort of broad scopes with, with what you do. So what about on a day-to-day on -a -day basis? What's the sort of um, challenge each day that has the biggest sort of return for you? Yeah. Uh, that's a good question, because every day is different for me, right? Um, one day I could be out meeting with publishers or tech people or um, just everyday people on the street or soaking in sort of a piece of culture. Um, other times I'll be at my desk and literally writing a strategy, like envisioning like this is what your brand's going to be or this is how we're going to talk um, in these channels. So those are very different mindsets. So I think each of them are rewarding in different ways um, and 
both of those is what I, I seek. I, I, I actually like the industry because I have a different, different hats to wear and different things to do. So I like the change of pace for it. So that's the, the ROI. But I think um, overall, it's still the impact bit of like, mm. knowing that what I'm doing right now, maybe I can't see it, but I know like at the end, there's going to be a tangible output from what we're doing. Um, and lots of other people will see it. They will be either influenced by it or love it or laugh by it. And that's like what turns me on too. Yeah. And so outside of impact, how do you prioritize um, proactive projects and making them happen? Because you're, you're a busy person who, you know, probably inevitably has an endless stream of projects coming across your desk. But obviously outside of that, you're, you're doing, doing things proactively. How are you, what's your metrics for choosing which, what to pursue and what to maybe kind of pass on? Um, that's, a, that's a pretty good question. I think a lot of it is, is, is where is your passion lie, right? What are the things you have lots of heart for? Um, and sometimes you can't choose those things because you're, you're put on particular products and you have a particular role. But I think I'm pretty fortunate enough that I can begin to pick and choose um, where I want my interests and passions to align um, and the things that I'm interested in and the projects that are out there, if they align with my particular passion, then that's where, where I go, right? Um, I actually did a little bit of an exercise um, on myself, right? We, we spent a lot of time helping clients to say, what is your purpose in, in, in life? Why are you out here? What do you, why do you do what you do? And I was like, oh, I want to try that on myself, right? Um, and my entire purpose is to move humanity through creativity. So everything I'm trying to do is meant to move people in using a creative force, right? And um, I mean, luckily I'm in a creative industry and there's lots of different little projects and things I can do. And then on the side that I can still continue to flex those muscles. So that's kind of where. where yeah. That sounds like a really interesting exercise. What were the, blocks of that or was it literally sort of putting that question at the top of a piece of paper and just staring at it or yeah um it's like basically I kind of drew a wheel and I said okay um what does my work life look like and what's important to me what I want to get out of uh, personal life what's interesting in the in the the industry that's that I want and then like how does that relate to um activities that um I really like and it's sort of the sort of four areas that I started to look through and then say there's got to be an overarching red line here like what's the thing through it and for me it's like it still has to be creativity and humanity um, and they those are the two things that I cannot live without and therefore why don't I just dedicate my life to those okay so yeah and um, yeah great that you great that you did that um, I always sort of think the world would be uh, light years ahead if we were all forced to take an audit on ourselves kind of once every five ten years yeah. in terms of our careers and things like that because life just gets in the way and yeah, totally gets you know. in the way and it's okay to take a step back for a second and pick yeah. your head up and look around right yeah. and, and I think it's, it's a healthy thing to do okay um, we're gonna do some rapid fire now Ooh, okay so they're gonna come thick and fast all right I'm ready okay what is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? Uh, two books, uh, Fountainhead and Sapiens. Um, Fountainhead, because it's uh, by Ayn Rand. I don't know if you know it. Um, controversial book. Not everyone loves it, but I think that's why everyone should read it. Um, she has lots of different 
points of view, but I think even if you don't agree with her point of view, you should have a point of view of yourself. Um, and that's why I share it with lots of people. Uh, Sapiens, which is a, sort of a newer book, but it's basically a book about um, the history of humanity um, and, and man and where we come from and what drives us. Um, and I think just as we were saying earlier, it's like a good time to sometimes step back and understand like why we're here. Sapiens does that in a really approachable way. And um, he makes you think about things that you haven't really thought about. Why do we like sweets? And he's like, well, there's a part in the book where it says we were nomadic people. And when we would go and find sweet fruits, we would overindulge ourselves on the fruits because we didn't know when we were gonna get it again, right? And so therefore we developed this like sweet tooth, right? Um, and that's why we love sweets so much because of it. And never really think about that. Um, and I thought that was a fascinating thing to make you think differently about something. Mm. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm reading Sapiens at the moment actually. Um, and yeah, it's kind of, it's like, a, lesson it's just like lessons about life wrapped up in <laughs> very very heavily researched uh, history of biology and things like that it's a really good book and it seems to be the one that almost everyone says as well oh, which, really? you know the, uh, the devil's kind of in the data on that one i think um i read atlas uh no it's not Atlas shrugged is it sorry phantom head mm -hmm. i read that when i was about 18 and i think it sort of went over my head a little bit but i kind of told i told myself it didn't that i understood all of it but I think I'd probably need to read it. I'm again. still learning from that book. I mean, I mean, there's this concept of um, selfless, selflessness versus selfishness in that book, and I still come back to it now and again. Of like, what is the line between the two, right? Mm. And just the way she writes, she's a beautiful writer. Um, um, politics aside, she makes you think so differently about it through this interesting story of an architect and who's unwilling to compromise on his art. Yeah. Um, and is that selfish or is that selfless? Um, good question to ask, you know? Yeah. It's a book, book um, that I read, it's called Catching Fire, How Cooking Made Us Human. Yeah, nice. Um, which is really similar to, um, to Sapiens. You kind of go, oh, yeah, interesting. And it's sort of, they're talking about, you know, um, cultures that would dig hot, huge holes in the ground, fill them with hot coals, whatever they wanted to cook, they'd then put in it, cover it in mud, cover it in leaves and things like that. And you kind of go, sort of like a slow cooker. Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah it's really, um, really interesting. I think actually you've inspired me to read um, The Fountainhead again, and maybe I'll, I'll uh, understand it legitimately yeah. this time. Let me know what you think. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is supposed to be rapid fire. Sorry, rapid I'm not fire. being very disciplined. Okay, here we go. What valuable company do you think no one is building? Um, I think when you start to think of um, where the industry is going and what's going on out there, I think most people don't want to watch ads anymore. They want to be entertained. Um, and I think uh, there's not a lot of companies that do both take the principles of advertising but also use entertainment. So I think that's actually an interesting white space between entertainment companies and advertising companies. And I think you'll start to see a lot more of those popping up. Okay. Tell me something that's usually in your pocket other than your phone, keys, or wallet. Mm, well, I don't like um, things in my pocket, so tend not to have anything, maybe except for my phone, but I do carry a book bag everywhere I go. Um, and in that book bag, I usually have um, sort of a, a pocket, a, a bag. When you go on um, planes, they give you these little, little like Herschel 
things, bags that you can like put your hygiene things in. So like in there, there'll be like um, cologne, it'll be uh, toothpaste, um, you know, toothwash, because you never know where you're gonna be you, and you never know how fresh you wanna be. So yeah. I always have that in my bag everywhere I go. Very interesting. Um, does AI fill you with hope or dread? Uh, that's a good one. Uh, I think AI is interesting because like, the unknown is always something that you're going to question, right? And people are sometimes wary about it. But I think that um, AI is actually already in our pockets. We're using it every single day. So um, I think as people get more familiar and recognize it, they will be more comfortable with it. But I think we're already comfortable with like emojis on your phone. It's like you're using it. Customer service is already using it. We're benefiting from AI as we speak right now. So um, I think it's just going to be a backdrop to our lives. And in fact, AI is will present much more opportunities for people to work, right? I think you have to teach them. And how do you teach a computer to be human? Well, you need humans to do that. Um, and so the people who have the most empathy, the people who understand emotions the best, will be the ones that have the best jobs. Um, and I think there's room for that to play, and it's not going away. Um, what's a meeting you look forward to each month? Mm, probably two. Um, we do something at the agency called Culture Watch. I don't know if you you should come next time, but basically it's it's a look into what's going on in culture. So we look at like every quarter we look at it and say from the last sort of six months or whatever, what did you guys miss, right? And here's some things you should think of. And then here's a look at some things we think will be really interesting for brands, for you, just in general, through humanity, technology, et cetera. I mean, it's just a chat that we give um, with Lore, who um, is my right-hand partner here. Um, and we co-present this to the agency and to our clients. And it's just an inspiration session to, to whet everyone's appetite and get you intellectually curious, which I think is awesome. The other thing is um, I always set aside some time to kind of just soak in what's going on out there. So I'm always meeting with like editors and publishers and fashion people and others and try to set a time just to, just to learn from them. And so that's what I look forward to, those sort of two moments. Yeah. yeah. So for people listening, Culture Watch, does that end up online anywhere? Does that, does that turn into like a, a blog post or, or, or a, Not know, really. a, a video um, of any sort? Or? I should put it online. It's just more so internally for, that we do mm. at the agency here. But yeah. I should put it online. That's all. Um, what is the most creative measure or metric of success you have ever been set on a project? Um, I think we alluded to it earlier. I think I worked on a campaign for a brand called Honeymate. I don't know if you know it. Um, but it, it was a hundred year old brand that had this um, message of this is wholesome. And the whole point was we said that um, wholesome looks different um, hundred years ago to modern ages, but um, if we are really honest with ourselves, like um, wholesome is still the same. And whether you're two gay dads or you're a military family or you are uh, a mixed race family, um, this is wholesome. And so one of our sort of sort of cultural objectives was, um, are we going to be able to help? change the gay marriage laws because at some level these families are still a nuclear family in fact they probably have more wholesome values than most other sort of traditional quote unquote families 
Um, and how can we help change that conversation? And I think when we were doing the campaign, at least in the States, it was all when, when gay marriage was deciding, is, is it gonna be legal or illegal? Um, and they left it up to each state. And so uh, by putting out this piece of content, it actually helped to fuel the conversation around gay marriage um, and if it were a wholesome thing or not, and online trolling as well. And so that was a KPI that we had set, a cultural KPI. Um, and that actually happens, right? We actually did, we can't necessarily say we changed the laws, but from what the messages and what people have told us on sort of recorded voice, voicemails and, and posts, it did contribute in their perception of what wholesome was as it relates to laws. They're like, okay, I, you're right, I believe this. Another thing I think we would do um, would be, we worked on something called uh, Blood Normal, which is um, a feminine hygiene brand. And they basically came to us asking, hey, you know, if you look at all of the sort of women's advertising for tampons and things, all they do is two things. They talk about function. Hey, look how stretchy this is. Women, like, oh, you can do all these things. Or they give you a demonstration using a little bit of humor with like the blue liquid. Um, and I think what we saw was that actually there's a changing tide in, in what um, confidence uh, for femininity was and, and that the discourse was changing. And we said that if we wanted to actually normalize the conversation around, you know, um, periods, then we had to make it a part of normal culture and we had to disrupt that. So KPI was how can we disrupt the conversation around periods? Um, and uh, that's what we did. Um, and that was our KPI. Yeah, it's a great campaign. I've actually got a uh, story for you on that, which is Juden, uh, I saw with their portfolio um, a couple of months ago, said that someone at her university uh, had basically made comments to her about how disgusting they thought period blood was, who apparently apologized uh, a week later having seen that, seen that commercial. So obviously hugely uh, powerful, really power, like positive force. So, so yeah, so, and uh, I know you worked on that situation. I'm very, very proud yeah. of that. And, and Nick and Nadia were like the masterminds creatively behind that, who you've also chatted with. So if you're interested in learning more about them, definitely check yeah. out their point of view yeah well I'll, yeah definitely i'll link their their portfolio and i suppose the plethora of press that that got as well I'll put that in the show notes um what was the last thing inside or outside of uh, advertising and marketing that um you thought was so clever it made you jealous hmm. all right so two things come to mind um so i was just I, actually talking to someone just now um and i asked them What's, what's the type of stuff that makes you jealous? And he rattled off some pretty basic things. And he said, he brought up Banksy, Banksy and he said, oh, Banksy is like, um, basically he, he, hates ad, he hates advertising. And I was like, actually, no, I, I think that's not true. I think he's actually the best advertiser, right? And he, what he's advertising is his point of view about anti-consumerism. Mm. And he does loads of different types of stunts um, and things to help aid the discourse around that point of view. So his latest that I really loved was when the auction that he had of, of, an, of a, a, a picture, and then as soon as that person bought it, it shredded the entire piece of art. That was disruptive. Also, like, why did he do it? Like, what, that's really messed up. The, the whole point is it had a point of view. 
and it furthers the conversation that he wants to have, right? Yeah. And so I think that was like the best piece of, of communications that I'd seen in a long time. And I just love things like that. They're just yeah. so, so just interesting. It's original. Um, I think you'll probably see lots of people try to copycat some aspect of what he does. Uh, the other thing that, that I really liked, um, actually is it's right around the corner from us. It's at the Tate. Um, and it's called The Clocks. Have you seen it? No. Oh man, it's by um, artist called Christian McClay. Um, and what he does basically, it's an installation um, that's 24 hours long. And basically it's a montage of thousands and thousands of hours of film and TV clip, uh, clips of clocks. And basically he takes those images, he edits them all together to actually show the actual time. Um, and so you can literally just go in there and sit and watch it, the time go by, yeah. but it's gonna be a montage from things from all over. And it is a fascinating journey, I think, of almost like cinematic history, but also just like, it's actually a functioning utilitarian timepiece. Right? Yeah. Um, so what a beautiful discourse. It's a, it's a piece of history, right? Yeah, why? Yeah, that's such a, um, such a simple uh, idea, isn't it? But Which craft, is, right? Really yeah. The amount of time and craft that went into creating this thing is, it's, it's an amazing thing to see. What I love is anyone that does anything amazingly, right? I just love it. Like whether that's a sushi chef, who's like slicing the best fish and takes all the care, or it's a welder who was welding on the building and he, he wants to make sure his welds are the perfect like seam. It's like, I love that. Uh, or I look at a suit and I can see that it fits really well because they got the measurements. I love, I appreciate and I love yeah. anything that's done superbly. Um, and that's one of them. You know? Yeah. Um, really interesting perspective on banks i hadn't looked at it that way before but yeah actually if you want to learn how to do a really simple poster just look at banksy's work or a stunt you know, did, so did you go into that auction knowing it was going to be shredded or was that that was the big i never went to it i just saw it in the news and but but people that went did they know that was going to happen no no so that was the big sort of hand grenade that he oh threw yeah. In. They, yeah they thought they bought this like wonderful piece of art <laughs> and yeah as soon as, as soon as it was done it shredded yeah, absolutely. That's the absolute definition of a, of a stunt, isn't it? So um, I hadn't looked at his work that way, actually, um, but I'm going to have to re-look at it. Was, yeah, he's the best advertiser, ultimately, of, of himself. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, and his point of view. Um, okay, last one. What's your one paragraph idea for saving the world? Move humanity through creativity. That's it. Nice. Uh, Gerard, thank you very much. It's been great fun. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.